0: First Samuel, chapter one. This is a a transition in uh, the scriptures in the way that God deals with uh, His people. Abraham, the call of Genesis twelve. That was a transition when Abraham was called by the Lord. He became the progenitor of the patriarchs, I guess you might say. In Exodus, when Moses was called, the Lord spoke to Moses. That was a, trans, a transitory time. Big events, big changes, promises made, and so forth. And now, Samuel presents to us a new uh, a, a new era, a new season epoch, uh, a new time for god 's dealing because although Abraham was called a prophet, Israel was called a prophet, yet they were not off that line of Prophets that God called specifically in this way. So Samuel is the beginning of the prophets. It begins, of course, with the account of his birth. The, the main character, we're, we're going to be studying in the book, book of Samuel, of course, in just about every book, there are all these characters that are major players in the procession of God's purpose. And we're looking at characters here tonight, among them Hannah and Elkanah and others. But the main character behind everything is always the Lord. When we step back from whatever set of circumstances, whatever account we're studying, whatever piece of scripture, when we step back and look at it, what we're looking at is the work of God Almighty, working in a small and detailed way for the greater purpose of fulfilling his plan and blessing his people. It's no different it's, of course, no different here. So let's consider then, in chapter 1, the birth of Samuel and all that goes around it. Let's begin by looking at a divergence of families and taking note of how God has worked even in that. Let's start with the first three verses. There was one man from Ramathaim Zophim. From Mount Ephraim, his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephratite. Now, I don't know, your, your, your Bible may say Ephraimite. Does anybody's translation say Ephraimite? It's not really the word there. The word is Ephratite. Now, Ephrata is a place, it's among the Ephraim, but it's a place that is almost synonymous with Bethlehem. Therefore, we understand here that Elkanah is an Ephratite. What is happening here happens at the end of the times of the judges. Samuel is the last of the judges and gives way to the first of the kings, who is Saul. But there was another Ephratite at the beginning of the era of the judges whose name was Elimelech. Elimelech And Elkanah, or that is Elkanah's forebears, you see, Jeroham, Elihu, Tohu, Zuf. You would put Elimelech probably on the same time frame of Jeroham. We don't know this for sure, but from studies that are made, it seems that this is probably the way that it was. So the forebears of Elkanah left their land where they were in a time of famine and went closer to the presence of the Lord. That is, they moved toward Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle was. Now, at this point in time, they, they still had the tabernacle in that it was like a tent and it could still be portable, but they had, uh, they had more or less made it a semi-permanent structure. It, it was something between the tabernacle and the temple, but the temple, of course, is not built yet. However, all of the worship of Yahweh required was performed, carried out at Shiloh where, the, where they had placed the tabernacle. Now Elimelech, if you go back, Elimelech, of course this would be quite a time earlier before Elkanah. But still, he took his family and moved away from the presence of the Lord and moved to Moab. And that's, of course, all that's in the book of Ruth. His sons, Malon, Kilion. When they went there, they took Moabitess women as their wives. Now, the Moabites were an accursed people to the Israelites. You know, uh, Moab and Ammon were the product of what had happened between Lot and his daughters um, after his wife had turned into a pillar pillar of salt and and they got him drunk. You know the story of that. Because of those circumstances, the Israelites considered the Moabites an accursed race of people. And the Moabites became idolaters uh, and uh, they were steeped in darkness and for, for a lot of the Old Testament they're, they're enemies of, of the Lord's people. But in a time of famine Elimelech went to an accursed land. Now what happened to Elimelech? Here's what happened to, first of all he died. His sons died. He lost everything. He lost his inheritance which was a very important thing in the life of an Israelite back in those days. He had, he had forsaken the promised land, went somewhere else. Unlike the family tree here of Elkanah. So there's a divergence of families. You have one who moved away from the Lord, and that guy had everything bad happen to him. Now God took the bad things and made something good out of it with regard to Ruth and Boaz and all of that. But with respect to Elimelech himself and his sons, they 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 died in an awful land, and they died with nothing. Ruth and Orpah were the wives of Milan and Kilion, and their husbands had died, and Orpah went back to Moab. Ruth. Became a believer in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Naomi. And so you know the story. Naomi and Ruth go back. And there's the account of Boaz. And, and uh, he, he becomes the kinsman redeemer. And he joins his wealth with her poverty. And they, she as a matter of fact, she's one of only three women in the genealogy of Christ. Ruth... Um, is, is one of the three. Rahab, <laughs> who was a harlot. Ruth, who was a, a Moabitess. That's kind of rough company. It shows you the grace of God. Here, however, is a man who obviously loves the Lord. It's also obvious that his first wife, Hannah, Loves the Lord, not only loves the Lord, but knows the word of the Lord. We're going to see that as it develops here. There was one man from Ramathem Zophim, and Ephratite, Elkanah was his name. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. That means that it was his first wife. And the name of the second, it's pronounced Phanina, Phanina, Phanina. But we're going to just call it like it looks up there Panina, Panina, Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Well, in that culture, this was awful. The first wife had no children, the second wife had children. It was very hurtful to Hannah, gave her a lot of distress emotionally, especially. And that man went to go up from his city from year to year to worship and to slaughter peace offerings to Yahweh, or the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, Yahweh of armies in Shiloh. And there were two sons of Eli, he's the high priest, Hophni and Finhas, and they were serving Yahweh. Now those two sons of Eli, they were not, they were not good guys, they're, they're immoral. but they're the ones who were there in the stead of Eli whenever as an old man he needed help. We learn here from this verse three that Alhena was a godly man because he is obedient to what the Lord had required that the people come in special time of worship to Yahweh once a year. It was an annual trek. And so Elkanah did it. He didn't miss a time. This was important. That means that his wives came up under his guidance and that any children that he had would go as well. So this was a, you could say, as far as Elkanah goes, this was a strong, to use vernacular of the day here, this was a strong Bible-believing, God-worshipping family. So Hannah, the first wife and we're going to see that she was the most favored wife, but she had no children, uh, was childless. And so there's a, there's a, there's a, a personal tragedy here that's, that's developing in the life of Hannah. She's crushed by her circumstances, and she feels less than, than, than the other wife. And she's ashamed of the fact that she can't have children. And we're going to see that uh, the other one, uh, Penina, doesn't help the situation. The pain of polygamy. Let's talk about this for just a second. Here's a godly man. It's another culture, another day. But let's look at this. When it was the day, the time for him to make his trip, Elkanah slaughtered peace offerings. He would give to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters portions. With regard to these offerings, they were to eat the sacrifice that they had made. To Hannah, he would give one choice portion, for he loved Hannah, and yet Yahweh had shut up her womb. and Her rival... The, the, the Hebrew word means really her troubler, the one who troubles her. Her troubler, her rival, would frequently anger her in order to make her complain for Yahweh had shut up her womb. So Paninna was not a sweet girl. Hannah, her name means grace. Paninna means pearl. So here's the situation. It's very clear to see. And so he would do year by year as often as she went up to the house of Yahweh and so she would anger her and she wept and would not eat. Would not eat, that is, the sacrifice that they were supposed to eat. It was supposed to be a time of happiness and festival, worshiping the Lord. But this is, this this shows us how sincere she is in her heart, Hana, that is, and how, how Bible based and Bible focused for the Bible that she had in her day, uh, that she really was. For example, in the book of Leviticus, um, Aaron had two sons, Nadab, Abihu, Nadab and Abihu. They offered strange fire, God killed them. Well, they were Aaron's sons and Moses had said for the people to go ahead and eat the sacrifice, even though this tragic thing had happened, but Aaron just couldn't. He said, look, I I know they did wrong. I know that the Lord killed them, but I just, I just can't eat. I just can't do it. So that's one time when emotional distress kept someone from being able to eat the sacrifice there was another time I think in Deuteronomy when the children of Israel themselves couldn 't do it over over stress and problems uh, in this case, she wept she was just all upset, and her what would that be her wife in law her <laughs> i don 't know what that would be the other woman kept her all tore up. Now I started this out by saying that there was pain in polygamy. We can go back to Abram. Sarah was barren. She was very old, getting old, very old. And so she told Abraham to take her handmaid. You know the story, Hagar. And she said, she will have my children. These will be my children. Well, it happened. Ishmael was born. Then Hagar began to be arrogant towards Sarah. And this wasn't working out well. Nothing but heartache and heartbreak. There's the the example of uh, Israel, Jacob. (laughs) Poor guy. It was his wedding night. He loved Rachel. He woke up next to Leah, her sister. I don't don't know how these things happen. So if you follow the history of Israel and his children and his wives, there's just all kind of distress and problems. They go all the way through. The same was true with David in his household, Solomon in his household. The pain of polygamy. So look at the next verse. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why don't you eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? I don't know if that was the right thing to say or not. Um, you know, she didn't get over it, so it must not have been the right thing. Um, before Rachel ever had a child, Leah had 10 children, 10 sons. So it may, it may have been that he was trying to make the comparison, you know, you are, you are the love of my life. My, you know, my other wife, she may have 10 sons, but that's not, they don't mean anything to me like you do. Am I not better to you than 10 sons? It spoke of how the sacrifice would be portioned out by Elkanah to his wives and to his children. But we read here that he was always careful to give Hannah plenty so that she wouldn't feel like that she was being mistreated in the distribution of of the portions. And so he says, am I not better to you than 10 sons? So Hannah prays for a son. Hannah arose after eating and after drinking. And Eli, the priest, was sitting on the chair beside the doorpost of the temple of Yahweh. That means that he was in the seat of authority is what that means. And she was bitter in her soul. She prayed to Yahweh. And she wept in anguish. And she vowed a vow and said to Yahweh, or the, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of armies. If you will look upon the affliction of your bondswoman, and you'll remember me, and you'll not forget your bondswoman, and you'll give your bondswoman a man-child, and I will give him to Yahweh all the days of his life, and no razor will come upon his head. She would raise him as a Nazarite. And that's a very important point. And I believe this. I do. I believe That godly women like Hannah can dedicate themselves to their children and see to it that they raise them in the way that they should be raised. In this case, this was going to be the most separated from, as a believer, that any other person could be. So every day of his life... She would teach to him the word of God. This this whole thing means that he would be a Nazarite like Samson was, but that she would assume the responsibility to see to it every day that he understood the importance of his service and existence before the Lord. She didn't let anything else get in the way. This This is her vow to the Lord. I'm not going to let anything happen to him all the days of his life. No razor will come upon his head. And it was as she prayed long before Yahweh that Eli watched her mouth. (laughs) That's, That's crazy. He saw this woman and her lips were moving. But Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving. And her voice was not heard. And Eli thought her to be a drunken woman. That probably happens to all of us. We're praying As we're driving and we don't want to bow our heads and close our eyes because it would be a bad time to do that. And somebody looks at you and probably thinks that you're crazy or drunk. Evidently, he had never seen anyone pray, moving their lips before, yet being quiet. So Ellie said to her, until when will you be drunk? Throw off your wine from upon yourself. And Hannah answered and said, "No, I do not my, my lord. I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit, and neither new wine nor old wine have I drunk. And I poured out my soul before Yahweh. Do not assign your bondswoman from before time as a daughter of Belial, Belial." Worthlessness, a daughter of worthlessness. You read about sons of Belial in the New Testament. In this case, he was calling her a daughter of Belial. She said, you can't do that. I'm praying for out of the abundance of my complaint and my vexation. Have I spoken until now? I am sincerely praying and I'm talking to Yahweh. And I'm moving my lips because I'm talking to Him. And I'm not drunk. And Eli answered and said, Go in peace for our, our Lord, our, our, the God of Israel, go in peace with the God of Israel. He will grant your request which you have asked of him. So the spirit of prophecy comes on Eli. Now here's a personal tragedy. What well, we go back, go back, uh, go back to the forebears of Elkanah who chose to move closer to Yahweh even though they were moving deeper into the famine. Chose to move closer to Yahweh knowing that somehow he would bless them. Elimelech, on the other hand, chose to move away from Yahweh, the people of God, and move to the people of Moab, and he lost everything. Elkanah is a a man of means, obviously. Elimelech, though, loses everything, one at the beginning of the time of the judges, and now this at the end of the time of the judges. And she said, may your bondswoman find favor in your eyes. And the woman went on her way and ate. And her face was not sad anymore. The Lord now has lifted her spirit of sorrow. And has, he has returned joy into her life. And probably for the first time in a very long time, she's not sad anymore. She lived a life apparently for quite a while in suffering personal tragedy, emotional distress. Her only recourse was to pray. But I want you to think of the strength that she had as a believer because of what Elkanah's forebears had done in moving closer to the Lord even in a time of famine And how he had been a man of worship and obedience. And this whole thing affected affected his family, especially Hannah. So she's very familiar with worship. She's very familiar with prayer. She's very familiar with the word of God. And as such... She is a very faithful woman and a woman who is blessed. So she's not sad anymore. Now the account is given of the birth of Samuel. They arose early in the morning and prostrated themselves or they worshiped before Yahweh. And they returned and came to their house to Remah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and Yahweh remembered her And it was when the time came about after Hannah had conceived that she bore a son. She called his name Samuel, Samuel, because she said, I asked him of Yahweh. I asked Yahweh for him. That's what his name means. And he becomes a a, a great intercessor himself and a prayer warrior in all of his life. Ask of the Lord. Asked of the Lord. So having given birth, she makes good on all of her vows. And the man Elkanah and his entire household went up to slaughter to Yahweh, the sacrifice of the days and his vow. But Hana did not go for she said to her husband, until the child is weaned, Then I shall bring him, and he shall appear before Yahweh and abide there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems good to you. Stay until you've weaned him. Only may Yahweh fulfill his word. And the woman stayed and nursed her son until she weaned him. And she brought him with her when she had weaned him with three bulls and one ephah of Meal and an earthenware jug of wine and she brought him to the house of Yahweh to Shiloh and the child was young they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli and she said please Lord please Adonai please Lord as surely as your soul lives Lord I'm the woman who was standing here with you to pray to Yahweh For this child did I pray, and Yahweh granted me my request, which I asked of him. And I also have lent him to Yahweh all the days which he will be alive. He is borrowed by Yahweh. So they worshiped Yahweh there. Samuel, of course, is a very powerful man in service to Almighty God. With regard to the school or or line of prophets, he becomes the first in that sense. God had worked through the lives of a whole lot of people through many generations. If you go back and consider the life of Elimelech and compare him to Elkanah, of course, who lived much later, and the circumstances and the directions of two families and how they each responded to very difficult times, one moving away from the Lord, one moving toward the Lord. And moving toward the Lord would have seemed to have made the circumstances even more difficult. But it didn't stop The forebears of Elkanah. And this, obviously this, this strong faith and propensity for closeness to Yahweh where his tabernacle was, this is a thing that was transferred in a strong, in, in, in faithful families in a strong, faithful way all the way down because they were so close to the worship And the house of the Lord. And so God works in the midst of an otherwise unknown woman. Mistreated by the other of Elkanah's wives. Distraught, distressed, probably so emotional that we we, we cannot imagine how she suffered. God permitted all of that to divinely intervene in the midst of it and bring into the world Samuel, the first of the line of the prophets all according to the purpose and will of God because it will be Samuel as you know who will anoint David as king and David will receive the covenant that the son of David will be the eternal king to rule the eternal kingdom into the ages and forever Such a simple and otherwise unknown thing and yet God was at work in so many ways even in a distant place with very common folks working through generations to accomplish his purpose and his will. God willing we'll pick it up there next time let's have our deacon prayer time.